Hello, this is Eric, your DM, and welcome to the Punch Bowl, the fourth episode of our interview segment on Join the Party. Even on our off weeks, I'm thinking about D&D, like the stat bonuses you might get after eating a turducken. I would say, plus two to belching. But I'm also thinking about what it's like to be a player in 2017 and beyond. So I figured I'd put that to good use and talk to those who are pushing the game forward, creatively, communally, socially, just doing good work. Maybe it's the role-playing, the imagination, or the snappy one-liners, but creative people gravitate towards D&D. So when I'm enjoying a song, a book, an essay, or a movie that references a critical hit, I feel like I'm in a secret club of players, with these illusions as our thieves can't. So I'm reading this beautiful essay about complexity and female personality, and the lead is about fighting a chimera in a D&D game. I need to track down the writer. Welcome to Jess Zimmerman, writer, editor, and RPG player. As soon as we stepped into our studio out in Queens, Jess and I talked and cracked jokes like we've been adventuring for years. And then I remembered we had to hit the record button. Jess, what's going on? Hey, I'm sitting in a room. (laughs) (laughs) This is good. This is the energy that I was starting with. I mean, it's unfortunate because we were actually having a great conversation before we started recording, and now I'm like, I don't know what is up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to start with a question that I love asking people first. Off the top of your head, if you could give me one of your favorite D&D game tales. Okay, I did something in my most recent session that I'm extremely, extremely excited about. Oh, hell yeah. I have a new character fairly recently because I was playing a tiefling fighter, and that got a little one-note. It was definitely fun to, like, one time, like, I hit a kobold with another kobold and stuff like that. Like it was <laughs> it was kind of fun to just like muscle up all over the place. But I got kind of bored with it. So now I'm playing a half-orc bard, which is way more fun. Playing chaotic good is way more fun than playing chaotic neutral, it turns out. So I've been like really feeling my oats on the bard things and I picked my spells really carefully for like RP reasons. Like I picked all of my spells thinking about like, okay, why would she have picked this spell particularly instead of like which ones are the most useful? But the one that I picked first, and I think really the reason that I switched to Bard in the first place was Vicious Mockery, this like (laughs) (laughs) level zero cantrip. And I hadn't gotten to use it until a fight that we were in with what turned out to be a Childrith. I had to look it up. No, Um, what is that? Yeah, it's like a giant spider person. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. And we had been hitting it for a very long time. And so this was merely the killing blow. It was not like the biggest hit on this thing, but basically like we were fighting this enormous spider creature and I finally got to use Vicious Mockery on it when it was like really like down to, you know, a shambling husk. And essentially I made fun of it so hard its head exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the sick burn that you did on it? No, I don't. (laughs) I mean, the thing is like it was very, very weak. So it could have just been like your mama's a spider also in addition to you um, fair fair you got, you got me it hurt me a little bit yeah it was more yeah. just like yeah i mean it would have hurt you more if you were a spider and your mom was a spider That's like you would have you would have been like that hurts me because it's true yeah you, you nailed me i definitely came from eggs from my eight-legged mother yeah, there it is yeah your mama laid an egg sack got Ooh, that's a sick burn and also so, true. It may have been a fairly healthy burn and not actually that sick at all. But the important thing is his head exploded and now I can say 
I made fun of something so hard that his head exploded, and that was very exciting for me. That's amazing. Prior to that, it was having to cut off our rogue's hand because he stuck it into a gelatinous cube. That's Not very our good. Rogue, sorry, our ranger. Actually, it sort of adds to it that it's a ranger. Like, why, you may ask, (laughs) was he right up on the gelatinous cube sticking his hand into it and not hanging back, shooting arrows? And the answer is, he's not a very good ranger. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of reasons that (laughs) game tales happen. It's like someone intentionally does something that they're not good at. And they're like, oh, well, we need to fix this because you are dumb. (laughs) Right. I mean, and in this case, like, I do make fun of this player a lot for kind of like constantly... He's really like always kind of in the middle of the action, getting hit on the head and then passing out. He got like speared by a unicorn once. And so I'm always like, could you please hide in a bush and just like shoot arrows like you're good at? But it's also like one of one of my favorite things. And I feel like this happens in every party. The things about your character that really only happen because of the dice roll, like you're not playing that. You're not like choosing to... RP this way, but then somehow the dice like make you Mm. really like a luckless bastard or an incredible beast like when the chips are down and stuff like that. And like it kind of happens enough that it becomes part of your character. And that's I always find that really funny. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about dice rolls. One of my creative consultants, she didn't know why I was giving the player's information when they rolled low on perception checks. Mm. It's like, you are being really easy on them and letting them know, like, everything in this room. Well, that's, I mean, perception, it's complicated. And then, like, what does a dice roll mean? So when you're talking about fate, I mean, most of the things we do, even when we're good at them, are dictated by fate. Really, just like, oh, my God, I can talk about D&D being (laughs) being, uh, the same as life. But, yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. And, like, I feel like people have, like, such complicated relationships with dice, too. Yeah. Well, and it becomes very similar to the complicated relationship that you have with just like, again, D&D being like life, with just like luck. You tell yourself a story about who you are today and what's happening to you today based on stuff like, you know, oh, I just missed the train and my shoe broke and the, you know, whatever. And it becomes like really kind of incorporated into your personality in a way. And especially if it happens like over a long period of time. Like I have a friend who every time she comes to my house, there's some kind of transportation problem and it takes her Mm. literally an extra hour and so now it's become like every time she comes over it's like i'm gonna take a cab because otherwise or like (laughs) i'm gonna tell you i'm coming at three but i'm really gonna come at two because otherwise and then it becomes your thing it becomes your thing yeah even though it's just like total dumb luck and because in DD you're much more responsible for shaping who your character is and thinking explicitly about who you are instead of just kind of all the narrativizing that we do with our lives all the time, it becomes really obvious that you're kind of incorporating these obviously random, definitionally random experiences into just your sense of like who this person is. Right. I feel like I'm the kind of DM that loves adding to your character sheet, even if it's like inconsequential. We've done this a bunch on the show, but like um, now that Amanda's character, Anara, has this relationship with Oatcake, her blank dog, (laughs) she has plus one to belly rubs. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like I could add Dex plus her proficiency in belly rubs and it might come up again, which is crazy. Oh, my God. OK, so we I honestly like I've never done this. I haven't even filled out the parts in my character sheet that are like motivations. And, and oh, no, you know, no, and stuff I like, that. like I just I just don't do it because I'm kind of like it's secret. You don't 
you don't have to see that. I don't have to write that down. So the same character who I described to you before we were recording as a total schmendrick, mm-hmm. the one who is always like... I believe you were saying <laughs> schlamazel. Oh, yeah. Schlamazel right. was the word? I did. Yeah, and schlamazel actually is way, way more accurate <laughs> because it's that he's very, very unlucky and also a terrible ranger. But, um, <laughs> but his very unluckiness makes, of course, gameplay much more fun for us. And one of the running jokes has been like for a while, like his pants kept getting destroyed. Yes. And so... <laughs> So much. <laughs> and so now it's just like a rule that like that's going to be the first thing that happens. That's you know, amazing. he gets new pants and then like he catches on fire or something like that. And so I would like to give him minus one to pants. <laughs> no, you should. It's going to come up again. Yeah. I feel like then the story then naturally goes towards those places. OK, I have so many things I want to ask you about. Okay. But first, how did you get into D&D? I think that everyone has like their origin story and it usually involves older younger brothers so I just want to test that theory (laughs) it's not older younger brothers in this case I don't have any of those I'll put that in my tally book like (laughs) they're one person but I did have a boyfriend who was into it oh there you go and I feel like I'm kind of old enough that when I was a teen it was still kind of considered a boy thing Mm. and so I didn't even play I would just sit there and read the monster manual Mm. and this was like you know one of those very old I don't remember probably second edition monster manual and had like kind of like little brown illustrations, yeah. like little like scratchy and little like brown illustrations. The, and all like the vaguely women monsters yes. all have like massive boobs. Definitely massive yes, boobs, yeah. Of course. But I was fascinated with it and it was 100% in a language that I didn't understand. Right. But I was interested in sort of the art. I was interested in the world. I was at the time not at all interested in the mechanics. And I would do mm. the same thing with magic cards. Like I would look through people's magic cards and I would be like, mana, I don't know what that is. And then someone would try to explain to me how to play magic. And I'd be like, fuck off. Like, don't, <laughs> don't ruin this for me. As someone who had a party in high school where we had a draft box, I still barely know what that means. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I would just like read a box of cards like it was kind of a like badly written book, you know. Yes. So like I looked through one friend's deck and, you know, and I'm sort of like trying to say smart things about it. I'm like, you certainly have a lot of gorillas. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't know what to I make thought... of this, but there are a lot of gorillas in here. I totally thought the next thing you were going to say was like something. It was like, oh, look at all these goblins. And then you said <laughs> yeah. gorillas. And I'm like, and then it was gorillas. like I laughed because you I it was unexpected. And then there was a second layer that I was like, that's a thing that happens in magic cards. <laughs> Oh yeah, I got my green and white gorilla deck. It's, it's like yeah. we're like, it's like trample, but like we also heal with my pal- gorilla paladins. Yeah, he was kind of mad that I pointed it out. Actually, he was like, "It's not, it's not good to have all these gorillas." I do have a lot of gorillas. But yeah, but so I would do this also with the D&D books. And I was like, I don't know how to play this, and I'm not especially interested in playing it. But right. I'm fascinated with it as like, kind of this opus right. basically that was when I was probably 14 15 and I didn't actually play it then I didn't start playing until like a couple of years ago actually and I think I'm really glad that I didn't start playing D&D until fifth edition because there's just a lot of ways in which it was made more user-friendly so uh, the reason why I wanted to reach out to you in the first place is I saw the Roll Monsters series in Catapult mm-hmm. and I started reading all of them and the one that stood out to me was the Chimera essay First of all, it's beautiful and amazing, but could you just tell me what your thesis idea was for the series itself? Like, why write about monsters like this? Yeah, basically the idea was there are a lot of monsters who are explicitly female. And I was sort of thinking about like, okay, well, why are these monsters female? Because we're talking about many traditions in which 
they don't make people in the stories women just for shits and giggles. It is definitely for a reason. And so a lot of them are what's monstrous about them is they're especially ugly or they're especially terrifying or a lot of them like they eat babies or like terrify pregnant women or seduce men. There's a whole lot of monsters who are female because their power is to like lead men astray. And so I was sort of thinking about like how are the ways that we represent female monsters, how are those kind of metonymies for how we think about culturally how we think about women as dangerous and flawed. Mm. And I was probably, I guess I was already thinking about that because I was working on this book about witches, which is called Basic Witches. I was just going to do the plug. I was like, this is Basic Witches. Just pick it up wherever you pick up good books. Yeah. (laughs) The Role Monsters is much more serious. Like Basic Witches is a fun book, but it's a fun book that is really like taking advantage of the idea that a witch has been this symbol for people's fear of female power Mm -hmm. and fear of women who don't fall in line. And Monsters was kind of a way to expand that same idea. For the Role Monsters series, I paired up a monster of mythology with a particular trait that that monster had and that is also seen as monstrous today in women. Mm. And, you know, and obviously the monster is like a very exaggerated version of that. And for women... It doesn't take very much, you know, because the way that you're supposed to look and the way that you're supposed to act can be so restricted that it doesn't take that much to kind of put it over the top into grotesquery. So making that parallel, I was hoping, would kind of highlight essentially how narrow the path is to walk before you're kind of falling off into monstrousness. So I think the one I started with... Definitely the first column that I wrote was about harpies and ambition because the entire thing of the harpy is that she eats a man's food, <laughs> you know, that she like takes what is rightfully his. But the main story that we know the harpies from, which is the Aeneid, and they're, you know, they're all over the place. All these monsters are all over the place, but that's kind of a big one. And in that story, they reveal that like basically Aeneas is men come out and they're like, oh, this is a great island and there's all these cows and we're going to slaughter these cows and have a great feast. And then the harpies snatch the cows from them. It's their cows. It's their (laughs) island, it turns out. It's their motherfucking island. But they're the ones who are the monsters. You know, like, oh, you snatched our cows. And so I was kind of like making that comparison between kind of the way that women's ambition is treated. It's like, well, but this is rightfully mine. It's not. (laughs) No. Yeah. I started with this and you did the wrong thing. I had it already. Yeah. First of all, that's amazing. I actually hadn't thought about them as a series Mm -hmm. because I was just enjoying the way that you were writing it so much and how you were couching all of them. But like hearing that, it really all fits together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like all these monsters together are a pattern. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Chimera one was particularly beautiful. What I really loved and what caught my attention was that the lead of that essay was you in a D&D campaign. Yeah. What made you think that putting a D&D lead with something to grab people in? I mean, this was something that I think I may have, I would never say butted heads with my editor because I don't butt heads with this editor. She's wonderful and she's mm. also my friend. But Shout um, out to editors. Yeah. Well, and especially the shout out to Nikki. But I think that she sort of said, I don't know that we need this here. The story that I was telling was a story of a chimera that we encountered in an actual campaign. And she was like, what happened at the end of this? And I was like, I don't know, we stopped playing that game. Because <laughs> it's really hard to get everybody together to play D&D in Brooklyn. 
And so I think we came close to taking that out. And the truth is that, like, the D&D chimera is very different from the mythological chimera. And yeah. it's not female, for starters. In mythology, there's only one chimera, and it is a female creature. Yeah, um, I didn't know that the chimera was female. Yeah, I actually didn't know it either until I started, like, looking up which monsters were female. But it is canonically female. But the thing that I wanted to talk about specifically that happened in this campaign was that we encountered this chimera and... Like somehow, instead of just killing the thing, we wound up cutting off its lion head and cutting off its dragon head and then like just tying it to a railing because we were like, well, now it's a goat. So so that's fine. It's just a goat with like really bloody shoulders. So it felt especially not necessarily important, but like useful to talk about the D&D version because that's a monster that like you can, you know, have a quote unquote experience with, you know, that you can actually try to fight, you know. And so I don't have any personal experience with the mythological chimera. I can read about it and I can sort of talk about scholarship about it. And Mm -hmm. then I can make these parallels to things that I do have real life experience with. But like if you're going to like really encounter a monster at any point in your real life, you're going to do it in D&D pretty much. I love how you said encountered. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that... There are all these video games that have mythology elements in them, mm-hmm. like God of War, this new Assassin's Creed game, a lot of these like really bloody games where you're really killing these things, mm-hmm. but you are encountering it. You are seeing it almost with your own body in yeah. D&D. Yeah, well, and you're also strategizing about it. You mm-hmm. know, like I think that you probably, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect that in Assassin's Creed, you don't have the opportunity to be like, well, how would I face a chimera specifically? Oh, I'll turn it into a goat. You know, right. which despite being a dumb strategy is still <laughs> a form of strategy. And we also, I mean, we had, as I mentioned, this D&D encounter with a unicorn, which also like it was an evil unicorn. And we Ooh, tried to, yeah, well, we tried to fight it. Well, it fought us. Because <laughs> a ranger got down there and got himself impaled. But um, a slamazel. But then we, <laughs> but then we realized that it was like imprisoned by a chain that was making it evil. And when we right. once we took it out of the chain, then it became a good creature again and stuff like that. So you get to think about the qualities of a monster much more in D and D, I think, than in a game that just kind of like throws it at you and expects you to kill it. That was actually my next question. Yeah. Do you have any D&D monsters that you wish that there was a mythology for? Like the opposite of what you've done with the role monsters? Mm. This is a really bad and silly answer, but I did in my last campaign have an owl bear and I'm extremely Yes. <laughs> like, so I'm extremely like into owl bears and I was sorry that Volos didn't really like go into sort of the owl bear like what are their family relationships like do they live in a hive or do they live in a cave or like what's these are such good questions yeah like i want to see like a drawing of like the owlbear young and like mm. you know do owlbears mate for life there is a really great thing on our D, the reddit thread for D, where like someone who was an ornithologist <laughs> went in and made subclasses of oh owlbears God. according to the different like types of owls there were and it was bananas w- was it according to the different types of owls and also the different types of bears i think they just did just, owls, but okay. like then you could probably do. I mean, like then you how do you pair like the a, two? Like yeah. do you have twice as is it like X amount? <laughs> is you have a black bear and then like an Arctic owl? Yeah, I feel like that ends up like you have hundreds of possible permutations of owl oh, yeah. and bear. Yeah, I'm super into that. I feel like there isn't actually that much about even where they come from. Yeah, well, and they're I mean they're a, they're ridiculous 
creature. <laughs> you know, like they're like they almost they're they're almost like a canonical, like lazy monster making. And I think that may be like why I'm so fascinated with them is that like it's really like a flailing kind of like, I don't know, it's like an owl bear. You know, like nobody put real thought into that. I feel like it's been around since the original, yeah. or at least yeah, yeah, they're old as hell. That's crazy. <laughs> I think like I saw some justification of Albert because we put one in our campaign right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why do these things exist? I want to know if you could keep an owl bear and tame it. You can if the DM is your boyfriend. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much fan fiction to write later. So what is your day job? I am now the editor in chief of a site called electricliterature.com, as you well know, because, <laughs> because you guys interviewed each other for a story for electric literature about why writers should play DD and why DD is like writing a story, but then also living it. And it was great. First of all, I sent this to my mom and my brother, who's a hedge fund trader, and my grandma. But, like, they all got it. My grandma would require it to be printed out, but... Yeah. <laughs> my grandma has an iPad, so she just looked at it by herself. Her email address is hightechgram2826. Are you shitting It's, like, at Hotmail, but still. Oh, man. It's very good. So thank you for giving us that opportunity. It was amazing. Yeah, no, it was great. It was a really good piece. I felt really special. Amanda and I are big, big book nerds. Brandon thinks about the relationship between D&D and music all the time. Mm. And Fish has been playing for so long that it's really like a part of his life and colors a lot of the stuff that he does. Mm -hmm. And then as we published that, I realized that there were other pieces that were looking into D&D and also monsters. BuzzFeed had an article by John Paul Brammer about his relationship between gay culture and the Mothman. And then we saw everything about the Babadook and Pennywise that's been coming out lately. But there was this article from The New Yorker about why D&D is good. And it was from Naima Jerome. Mm-hmm. It was just like this survey of all the reasons why D&D is cool now. Why is the larger blogosphere now writing about the intersection of D&D and life? I mean, I think that D&D is having kind of a larger influence in the culture at large, and people are recognizing that. I haven't read the New Yorker article yet, although I'm really excited to read it. But I saw it, and I was like, I pitched something on this, not to the New Yorker, but I I pitched (laughs) something on this like two or three years ago, and the person that I pitched it to was kind of like, eh, maybe. And I just kind of like didn't really have like an angle on it, like besides sort of saying D&D, it seems really much more popular now than it used to be. It's not mm. just for nerds anymore. So I'm very glad that somebody who is like clearly an extremely strong reporter did this oh, because yeah. I'm not. I'm very lazy and I didn't want to like talk to the people that it would have been necessary. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to reading the article that like I wished someone would write but clearly did not wanted enough to write it myself. But it's interesting because that was a couple of years ago and I was sort of like, you know, this is having a resurgence it's not even a resurgence it's a surgence because i think when we were all teenagers it was very niche and now it's like i don't want to say that it's mainstream but the chances of saying something about DD to just like a random person that you have not vetted besides Mm. that you know they're a person that you're willing to talk to and having them say oh yeah i play that actually even more than that it was when i first started my last campaign which has party members in common with my current one, but we've been through some permutations. Anytime I mentioned it, people were like, oh, I really want to play that. And that's Mm. still true. Like people want to come sit in. That may actually be like more surprising to me than the 
increased awareness of D&D because the increased awareness could partly be nostalgia. Right. Right. Like it shows up on Stranger Things and now everybody knows what a Demogorgon is. But what I was really noticing and I'm still noticing is that people are excited about it. Right. And I think you guys hit on some of the reasons, I think, in sort of talking about the overlap between playing D&D and writing Hmm. and the way that it gives you sort of a new way to interact with characters that you're creating and with, you know, stories that you're creating. It's a creative pursuit that is also social and that's also like creative within limits. I think that there's a lot of things for people who are aspiring writers or who are just like big readers and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of things about sitting down and writing a story that's very scary, right? Because you have to make up something brand new out of right. whole cloth. And so when it's something that's collaborative and also something where there are rules, there are guidelines, there is a world, there are massive numbers of manuals that you can go through. And so that feels like sort of comfortable creativity. But I don't know if that explains why it's an object of media interest or of right. public interest. But I think that's probably why, like at least people in my orbit seem really enthused about the idea of like sitting in on a game. Right. Yeah. It, I felt like it was just popping up all the same time. Yeah. And I mean, people are now like making podcasts and YouTube shows, but like a lot of those are insular within nerd culture, mm-hmm. but it's just like at large people are accepting. I mean, you have stranger things community. I feel like you just like rattle off the same ones when you yeah. try to convince people to play D and D. I feel you. like the community, episode has to have been material in all of this right yeah and i think what that episode did was it actually showed people playing it that was not a way that D was represented in pop culture for the most part you would show like kind of parodies of people playing it or you would show people like referencing it to establish that they're a dork right but you didn't like really walk through the entire sort of like storytelling aspect of the game that's crazy i never thought of it like that i don't think it was the very first thing to do that but I think the other ones were like YouTube videos and stuff like that like they weren't like a huge mainstream thing the only other one I can pull off the top of my head is that episode of Freaks and Geeks where like Mm. the super nerds like take very very young James Franco to play with them but like they don't actually play they're just like sitting and like they're like vaguely cosplaying at the same time like one of them's like wearing a wizard hat and like a bunch of that stuff but they're not playing the game that's blowing my mind I think there was a long time when people did not know what went on in an actual D&D session and when you like if you convinced them to come and sit in they would be kind of like what am I supposed to do I don't know (laughs) and I can't overemphasize how often this happens that people are like oh can I play And I think that when they do that, like they're doing it, they're coming from a knowledgeable place. Like they know what they're asking for. They know what to expect. And we have had a couple of people sit in and it's been basically seamless. And I do think that fifth edition encourages that because there's not nearly as much of a sort of hurdle. But I think it's also that we have, and I think community was probably instrumental in this, like we have kind of a broader cultural understanding of like what an actual D&D game is like and why you might want to do that. Jess, thank you so much for coming. This thank was you, amazing. Great. Please plug yourself. Where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find usually not my writing, but occasionally my writing on electricliterature.com and also a lot of wonderful work that we're really, really proud of. And I haven't 
published anything recently, but all of the Roll Monsters essays are on Catapult, which is catapult.co, I believe. And I'm on Twitter at J underscore Zims with two M's. And I've been following Jess on Twitter since 2013, so you should as well. Yes, follow me since 2013. Yeah, go back in (laughs) time. Please go back in time and follow Jess on Twitter when Twitter wasn't a terrible health (laughs) It was great. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Two things really quick. The episode's over, I promise. Jess and I talked about a ton of articles and videos in this interview, so you can find all of those links in the episode description. And I want to plug Jess's book one more time. This is Basic Witches, How to Summon Success, Banish Drama, and Raise Hell with Your Coven. She co-wrote it with the equally talented Jaya Saxena, and you can find it wherever books are sold.